listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. Any questions? I don't think so. No? Okay. So how are these uh, headsets? Oh, comfortable. They seem yeah. fine, yeah. yeah. Are they uh, better than hearing aids? <laughs> not familiar with hearing aids. <laughs> what was that you said? <laughs> See, these you can turn. Repeat the, it after you, me. You can turn, turn the volume up as well. So. Yeah. No, it's just right. Everything's fine. Oh, that's good. These are a little more clunky then. Holy mackerel. Can't get that open? Here, I'll open the water for you. Mm, man alive. My left hand's not strong enough. There you go. That's why you should drink beer. It's a lot easier to open. Yeah, it's a lot easier to snap that cap. Oh, I get more desperate yeah, when I'm drinking beer. <laughs> you got more what? I get more desperate. The, oh, okay. <laughs> conversation gets better, too. So. Did, you, yeah. did you just pick that off that easily? I did. How come I couldn't turn that? Was I it made lefty loosey, righty tighty? You loosened it off for him. I guess so. You did. Yeah, you so brought, I, you I, I, I agree, I did. Those big taxidermy <laughs> muscles. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, Reg, how how long did you work in taxidermy? You remember? Oh, boy. I started approximately 1975. Okay. And that was in the Okanagan. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I worked three years there, and then I moved to Cranbrook and continued on. So you're 30-plus years? Yeah, I would say 30, 35 years, yeah. What about you, Odd? Oh, I'm just trying to think now. I I got interested in taxidermy when I was a teenager. Yeah. Younger. Yeah. So what about, like... when it actually, like, let's say, became your work, like, if what was the length of your career? Do you oh, think? Oh well, it, so you mean just uh, doing it without any supplements, like other jobs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, uh, I just never thought of that. <laughs> in the fifties, you started in the fifties. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. was doing tax work in the in the fifties. At the same time, I was working at Cominco. Yep. And I worked at Cominco until I got my pension. Yep. And then I had a pension to. And everything else. So I mean, I was, uh, I had, uh, <clears throat> uh, I was doing two two jobs at once, <laughs> and doing a lot of development work in between, of course. Yeah. So. So the fifties to it was, few few years ago. So you're yeah. getting into the forty. Forty years or more. Oh yeah, fifties. Yeah, fifty fifty years, probably close yeah. to half a century. Yeah. Oh man, you maybe you even invented it. <laughs> so we're talking we're, we're sitting here like with two taxidermists and like we're talking close to 80 85 years of total experience yeah yeah what um reg what what got you first into it what was your first recollection where it's like what is that? That is interesting. I grew up in in uh, Alberta until I was in my 20s. And growing up in Drumheller, my folks had a mounted pheasant on the mantel in our front room ever since I can remember as a kid. They had a standing mounted pheasant. I don't know who did it because my dad didn't hunt. Mm. 
neither did my mom, of course, but so I think it was an uncle got this pheasant mounted and I remember that pheasant being there all my life growing up and that didn't uh, you know it was nice I, I just uh, I never thought how or why or anything else and then when I was in my early 20s I moved out to eastern Alberta and I had uh, I had not seen what you would call good quality taxidermy until, oh, probably in my late teens. And then I saw, I oh, do probably remember, Wolf Taxidermy out of Edmonton. Right. <clears throat> and I saw a sheep he did. I'd gone hunting in the mountains with a friend. And uh, I saw this sheep mountain. I thought, gee, that looks nice. I thought, it looks alive. And that's the first time I saw taxidermy that actually looked alive. And I thought, boy, this guy, whoever did that, it's, and I found out who it was. And living out in eastern Alberta, I got a real nice big antelope. And I thought, I'm sending it to Edmonton to this guy. And I did, and he mounted it. It was beautiful. And uh, I had a relative came by and visited a couple years later and had to have it. They just, uh, I'm not leaving without it. I love it. You can get another one. I says, well, maybe I can, but I like that. And he said, I'll buy it off you. And so he gave me what I paid to get it mounted, and off he went with my antelope mount. And that's that was my experience with taxidermy. And then I tried to mount a deer one time when I lived out there. Had no idea how to do it. None whatsoever. And it was absolute disaster <laughs> I didn't know you had to tan them or nothing I just skinned it and I think I took the horns and I I put them on a 2 by 6 at an angle and somehow screwed them onto there screwed the 2 by 6 onto a board and uh, wrapped it with straw and uh, put this skin over which eventually just stunk because it wasn't tanned and uh, it was terrible. And uh, that was my experience with taxidermy to start with. And wow. then, uh, yeah, and then I moved out to uh, British Columbia, out to Kelowna. And a good friend of mine that I also grew up with, he, uh, we went hunting ducks and we got into some real nice northern mallards beautiful plumage oh they were nice ducks and he suggested that we try and mount them and I said yeah yeah and of course we were pretty wild and crazy at that time and no idea what to do about it and uh, somehow we ended up with a book a little wee skinny book and it was Practical Taxidermy by Leon Bray and uh, it showed the old way of mounting a bird. You skin the bird and you take some wire and uh, in what they call excelsior, which is like a wood wool, and you wrap it around all that and then you tie it with string real tight so you get a body that's somewhat the shape of the bird body. And then you use wires and you put the wires through the legs of the skinned out bird and wires into the wings and, and a wire for the head 
And so we spent a couple <laughs> of crazy nights with a case of beer and whatever and put these together. They were just absolutely horrible. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. We didn't know. First off, we didn't, didn't say what gauge of wire to use, right? So we used these coat hanger wire. <clears throat> and these were big mallards and a big body on it held up with coat hanger wire and ducks always look like their legs are too far back anyway well they're not really that's just a joint that goes that way <laughs> and so mounted the wires too far back on the body too thin of wires and we didn't know what to mount the ducks on and all we had was a piece of two by four i wish i'd have kept it i really wish i'd have kept it and so here we have this mallard mounted on a two by four and it was absolutely terrible and it would sit there and fall down on his beak tilt fall down on because the wires weren't strong enough to hold it up and it, so it ended up leaving it with his beak down on the two by four that was the mount and my friend Sny. He did a laying down. He decided to do a laying down mount on a duck. So here's this duck. It looks like a dead duck laying there. Well, we got a good laugh out of that. Well, but, you know, I looked at that and I said to myself, I think I can do better in that. I know that what I've done wrong. I'm going to try another duck. And about three weeks later, I tried another duck. And be darned if it didn't look like a real duck. And I thought, oh, God, that was fun. I thought, I like that. And I had a friend that lived in Kelowna, and he encouraged me. He says, that's really good, Reg. Just try another one. In fact, he says, I've, there's a pheasant hanging out in my yard. I'm going to get it, and I'll bring you the pheasant. So next thing you know, people are starting to bring me work. Oh, wow. And taxidermy took off. Wow. And it just never stopped. Never stopped. Never stopped. Don't. So do you know that somewhere along the line, this person invented this little bird and he would dip down like he's drinking and then come back up mm -hmm. and dip down like mm -hmm. like the, your first duck experience? Mm -hmm. My duck they wouldn't became, dip, come back they up. They became <laughs> millionaires. Every home bought one as a little ornament. And, oh, really? Yeah, you, you missed out on some <laughs> I missed out. I missed it there. Darn. You had, you had to work for 30, missed it again. 35 years. I missed it again. Awesome. What? What was what was your earliest recollection of taxidermy? Seeing something that kind of was that little spark for you? Gosh, I guess I must have been five or six years old or something like that. Holy! <clears throat> and uh, we, uh, I had two. I have two uncles and relatives over in Alberta that belong to my my uh, mother's side of the family. And we lived in in uh, in uh, uh, Castlegar at that time, <clears throat> and so we had to go through uh, Banff, of course, and then going through on our way back from from the hall on our holidays in in Alberta, visiting the relatives. We stopped at Banff again, uh, and uh, uh, because I I was wanted to see the museum that was there, uh, the white the white museum, yeah. Uh, well, Banff Museum, okay, the Natural History Museum. I don't know what it was called at that time. And uh, I guess I must have been uh, uh, six or seven years old, I guess, at that time. 
and uh, saw all these mounted critters all over in there, mounted life-size sheep and mounted birds and, and all this sort of stuff. And I, and uh, I was intrigued by these things, you know, how come they're standing there and, you know, how did they, <laughs> how did they do that? And, and I, I guess my interest was, uh, uh, was uh, uh, pretty deep because uh, when we, by the time we got home and as time went on, uh, every time we'd go out to the prairie, we'd, I'd want, I'd want to stop in there at the museums again in, in, in Banff. And uh, so uh, at this time, I think I was uh, uh, seven, eight, nine years old type of thing. And uh, so uh, my dad just one day says, hey, look at it. He said, you seem to be really interested in this. There's an adver- advertisement in the, in the outdoor magazines on taxidermy course. So uh, the Northwest School of Taxidermy, if you've ever heard of it in Omaha, Nebraska, has put out this course. So uh, uh, he sent away for the course for me, you know, and that sort of stuff, correspondence course. And I took that and uh, uh, delved into it, and I never looked back. Holy. It just uh, caught me, and it just uh, progressed. Was It was your thing. It was my thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was my Wonderful. thing. Just, wow, that's so, so, so young. That, that, was a, that was my the way I got introduced to it and how I, how I got started getting on to it. And I was going to school at this time, of course, you know, in, in grade school. And uh, <clears throat> then uh, uh, during the summer holidays, of course, I, uh, uh, we happened to be coming through uh, from the, the, the traveling from the coast and coming through Oliver. And, and, and Oliver, of course, there was a, a taxidermy uh, business there, Abe Braun, B-R-A-U-N. He, he was a well-known, internationally known uh, taxidermist, and he did taxidermy work for people, whoever, you know, from all over the world, basically. And, uh, and so uh, we dropped in his, t- his shop and his display room, and, and uh, I, saw, I got interested in seeing how all these things were doing and uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, get ideas of, of what it was all about. And uh, then when, my, when I got my taxidermy course from the Northwest School of Taxidermy in, out of Omaha, Nebraska, uh, I just carried right on with that. And uh, uh, it just pro- progressed, and I f- got to a point where uh, the mannequins that you were buying, at that time you could buy deer mannequins and sheep mannequins and goat mannequins and that. And... Uh, 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 being that we lived here in the East and the West Kootenay, uh, you know what a deer looks like, you know what a goat mm. looks like, and that sort of thing. And these these mannequins, you could never, I could never get them to do what I wanted to do with them, so I was always altering. So finally I got peed off, and uh, uh, I started sculpting my own. Yes. And so I sculpted my own mannequins, and I made molds of them, uh, plaster Paris molds, and then I made paper mache mannequins out of them because the paper mache mannequins were the thing of the day when I was doing it. And finally, foam took over, and and uh, then I changed my my uh, my plaster of Paris molds for the different different deer heads, sheep heads, goat heads, grizzlies, and all, all this sort of thing. Uh, I, I changed it changed it over to foam from from uh, paper mm-hmm. mache, modern, modernized, yeah, and uh, yeah, they developed that technique, and so I manufactured all my own all my own mannequins because the stuff that I bought was just not adequate; it yeah. wasn't good enough. 
uh, even though it was uh, they were on the international market, they were good. Don't misunderstand me. They were they were good, but they weren't. Uh, I had to do too many corrections on them, and I figured I'm wasting a lot of time making these alterations. So I may as well sculpt my own, make molds of them, and uh, and I produce my own, which uh, yeah. I, I did was as my as I carried on. Hmm. You know, so that's that's. Uh, Wow. How, I, how I got into taxidermy and how I huh. how I dove into the, the manufacture of mani- making my own mannequins and yeah. that sort of thing. Wow! Man, and uh, I, did, I also did my own tanning, you know, because uh, uh, it was too. There was no tannery around uh, when I was at Castlegar. There was no tanneries around, <clears throat> and you'd have to send the skins off to Vancouver to the tannery, and that was a. The, so I I took a, a tan. I got into. Uh, uh, developed my tanning skills, and so I tanned all my own, all my own uh, 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 skins, you know, for the head mounting. And uh, of course, it was done what they call pickle, pickling, and you didn't have to have a soft tan for that because when you mount a head, it dries on the mannequin, and then it gets stiff and sort of become part of the mannequin, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, uh, but then, if you want to do a bear rug, I'd send all the bear skin I, I, to make into a rug. It has to be soft pliable and that sort of thing so you could fold it and all this sort of thing so but I continued to send off anything that I needed for a soft tan to the tanneries wow you see so whenever you had uh, homework assignments in school as a little boy you probably would submit <laughs> some some of your uh, taxidermy work from the weekends in your summer oh yeah, they, they, yeah. It, uh, it was an interesting thing and, uh, I they, bet. And of course uh, the, the teachers of course they were interested interested in, in, in seeing it. the stuff and, wow. and uh, all that kind of stuff so it is uh, fascinating I, fascinating start guys yeah, super cool fascinating well um jump into some intros so <clears throat> welcome everybody uh i'm mark hall the uh, host of the podcast and i'm curtis and we're uh in cranbrook british columbia um situated off the Rocky Mountains in southeastern part of the province and we're joined by who I consider um, to be masters of taxidermy, um, Reg Parsons and Odd Osland and they're both retired now um, but I consider you know, that's, you uh, guys t- to that's tired and retired. Ed, of course. Yeah, that's yes. being tired <laughs> twice. Tired, yes. yeah. <laughs> I consider both of you um, t- to be uh, kind of maybe some of the last of the great master taxidermists. And for, for these reasons, um, I've, I've known, you know, both of you like almost, you know, my whole life. Um, Odd, dear, my, my father-in-law, Reg, I've known you since, uh, you know, as a young man, late teenager, you know, as well. Same with Odd. I knew, um, I knew you as a, a, as a, you know, 17 year, 18 year old here before I even met your daughter. And, um, you know, what struck me is, um, taxidermy was not, um, a craft. It was not a hobby, um, for you guys. Um, you're artists and you're artists in the, in the truest sense. Um, you're sculptors, you're anatomy experts, you're businessmen. Odd, you were a guide outfitter for several decades as well. Um, Reg, you were a artist, paintings and, and sculptures. You're both what I consider to be hunter conservationists. We had lots of, lots of chats about conversa- conservation. You guys were talking about it upstairs before we came down here, hunting regulations, naturalists, 
um, you know, your employers uh, here in the community. Uh, Curtis here used to work uh, for his boppa in the shop when he was your age going to school. Your father's husband's family men, you know, you were part of this community, um, part of your churches. Your peers um, recognized you in, in your work and, you know, you you both won competitions and, and ribbons. And, you know, for, for all of those, I think that's more than just the, the skill of your craft is, is why I consider you guys, you know, to be the masters and really honored to have you guys on, on the show here to tell your story. Well, thank you very much. No, oh, yeah, it's our, it's our pleasure. So I thought I'd take a minute here and just kind of back up a little bit um, for our listeners just to set the stage for this conversation and um, just kind of talk about, you know, the history of taxidermy and, and, and what it is. And feel free to interject where I've um, referenced this wrong from the literature, but... Um, so taxidermy itself, um, the word, um, comes from Greek derivatives. Um, dermi or dermis uh, is skin, you know, of course, and taxi um, means to move or arrange. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, uh, you know, the translation would be um, the arranging of skin is kind of a simplistic, right? And, I mean, people have been preserving skins, you know, since, since you know, the dawn of civilization. Indigenous people have been, you know, um, preserving skins and f- using it for clothing and shelter and, and uh, you know, adornments and stuff. So they, they mastered that aspect of preventing it from going ro- <laughs> rotten, um, you know, like, like Reg's experience there. Um, so so I, I researched in some of the earliest there's a little bit of controversy over this. Some of the earliest forms of this were the Egyptians in around 2200 BC, um, where they were uh, embalming dogs, monkeys, cats, birds, even hippos, and putting them into the, into the tombs with, you know, with the pharaohs. However, you know, some are arguing that that wasn't true taxidermy. It was just embalming these things. They were mm-hmm. just, you know, stiff-legged mm-hmm you know, representations and they were supposed to, um, you know, come alive in in the afterlife. In the afterlife, yeah. And and see what you guys think of this, but a definition um, that I found of true taxidermy. So it said, true taxidermy attempts to capture forms, expressions, and animal attitudes in a lifelike manner. And that was the, 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 the difference between what the Egyptians were doing and, and, and the, the, the taxidermist later on. So, so the first true taxidermy um, seems to come from a record of a crocodile, of all things, in a cathedral in Italy. And the documents there in the cathedral um, made reference to this crocodile. The documents were in 1534. So they suspect the crocodile was actually mounted, you know, prior to 1534 or so. And then in the 18th, 19th, and earliest 20th century, um, you know, sort of the Europeans got into this, you know, big global expeditions and voyages of discovery. And um, a lot of the expeditions to find the new world and the passages and these sorts of things, um, there were um, botanists, uh, natural historians that were put on 
on the ships um, to then, you know, discover plants and animals in, in the new worlds and the places they went. So um, taxidermy became one of the, the tools of science for studying new species. The, the scientists had to find ways to collect these new specimens um, and then preserve them uh, back in, in the old world for, um, you know, for, for study and classification. And, you know, and I would say like it or like it or not, depending on, you know, your position of, you know, listeners that, I mean, taxidermy played a role in conservation. It was, you know, one of the first things that helped people understand um, species, what they look like, their habits, and, and the more taxidermists were able to portray them in natural, lifelike positions, the more people were able to identify with them. And, and appreciate them. Yeah, and appreciate mm-hmm. them. And, and we all know that if you understand and appreciate something in nature, you're more likely to protect it, it or conserve a whole it. New, it became a whole new way of educating uh, the general public yeah. to what wildlife is all the way from a mouse to a moose yeah, exactly and, and uh, what they look like in, in true actual size and color and and uh, with an environment around it to suit the purpose of displaying this particular mount if it's a moose standing in a swamp that's what you would do make it standing in a, in an artificial swamp etc etc yeah yeah so no for that, sure that's what, that's it, what it definitely played a role and <coughs> Um, you know, some of the listeners may or may not have heard of, um, you know, William Hornady. Uh, he was, a, uh, you know, a, a, the chief taxidermist at the Smithsonian Institute in New York in, in the 1880s. Um, and he would go on these hunting expeditions, collect specimens, um, you know, for the museum. He hunted here in the southern Rocky Mountains of, of BC and Alberta and, of course, wrote the, the, the famous book, um, campfires in the Canadian in the Rockies. Rockies. There's yep. a pass and a mountain peak, uh, you know, here named after him. Um, he was a conservationist and became, from from his travels of collecting specimens, became a strong um, proponent for wildlife in arguing the cases where he saw overhunting impacting, you know, the natural world. And, of course, uh, when he went to look for bison to collect for, you know, the the New York Museum that he couldn't find any and became a champion of, of saving, you know, uh, North America's bison. And um, Carl Akeley, um, you know, another, you know, famous um, taxidermist, uh, was at some of the Natural History Museums, Chicago, and um, ended up at the Smithsonian as well. And, and those guys really started to emphasize taxidermy as art, which is which is how you guys saw it. And, and the rise of taxidermy schools, obviously, and books and literature. And um, they sort of say the modern taxidermy kind of maybe started in like the 1900s, where you're talking more about creating dioramas and scenes and giving people the context for these animals. At that time, uh, that's when a lot of museums were were gathering uh, uh, in that time period, starting to gather specimens to have them mounted, displayed, uh, so that everyone could see them in in museums or Mm -hmm. other similar places. Yeah, Yeah, they're placed in dioramas where you could see the animal in its natural habitat, Mm -hmm. surrounded yeah, the big, Which pa- is big really, paintings yeah, behind it. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it, it, 
in the literature, popular literature anyways, it kind of talks about taxidermy sort of going into a rebirth uh, in the 1970s where it kind of moved from being sort of an exclusive thing to museums to become more of an entrepreneurial thing, um, you know, and became businesses and maybe catering to the average hunter. But I mean, you guys were obviously way ahead of the curve, you know, by the <laughs> 1970s, you were well-established. We, we were well-established by yeah. that time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. you're uh, pioneers. A lot of pioneers to the pioneers to the list now. Of, oh uh, boy, charted charted new new territory. Uh, one of the other things I found interesting too, like from a conservation perspective, is um, you know taxidermy has played a role in preserving endangered species that are no longer with us. Um, the only records we have of the dodo, the passenger pigeon, um, the thalassine or the Tasmanian tiger, the Carolina parakeet um, are because of the, the, the work that taxidermists did to preserve and, and you know, rep- represent those. Um, you may have heard about the um, a giant tortoise, um, a, the last of his kind of the Pinta Island tortoise from the Galapagos. His name was Lonesome George. He died a year or two ago. It's kind of a big news story, and while he he was being preserved, he was hmm. the last of his species. And taxidermists mm-hmm. in the museums were working to. And so it should be. Yeah, and it, it was interesting, but um, a big part of it, I think, is reflected in what you said, Reg. Is taxidermy was a was a big learning curve, and not the art and the representation, but learning to preserve the skins. And there was chemists and entomologists and all types of people involved to figure this out and and I don't know if you have this experience but arsenic was like the main thing that taxidermists figured out to, mm-hmm. to preserve, preserve and keep the yeah. ins- insects and they called us arsenic eaters <laughs> that's they called taxidermists arsenic eaters yes that's what they call them oh. Ars- arsenic eaters wow did you ever use it I never used arsenic I uh, never, I never used wa- it I never okay. wanted any kind of poison around <laughs> no. it yeah. but by the time I got into taxidermy when I was uh, 12 or 14 years old uh, arsenic was uh, was Abolished. replaced by yeah. other chemicals mm, you know yeah. aluminum, Bor- aluminum sulfate and gotcha. things like that yeah yeah so that's kind of some history. I mean, ho- hopefully that kind of um, paints some context for people that maybe aren't really familiar with it. And like, what I'd like to dive into now is, you know, um, maybe kind of explain the process to folks um, from, you know, sort of an animal um, that a hunter's got to a completed um you know, specimen for them to for them to take home. So to start out, what's how do you guys refer to them? Mounts. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of the popular term. That, that's, because that's exactly That's the most common. Yeah. Right? They are mount, mounted, and, and so mounted, you spe- would, mounted specimens. You would mount a specimen. You wouldn't that's taxidermy right. a specimen. No. Taxidermy is yeah. not a verb. No, taxidermy yeah. is, the, is, the, is the name of the process. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Taxidermized is I've yeah, heard it called before. Afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Taxidermied. Taxidermied. I don't know what you would call it. So let's uh, so recreated, I suppose, would be an artsy way of mm. saying it, and really, that's the that's the uh, that's the gist of taxidermy. Yeah, it's uh, even though it, it is preservation, but the idea of the uh, uh, the pyramids and the rest of them having animals put in, mm. uh, you know. 
they weren't necessarily uh, recreated. They were just somewhat preserved. Preserved. And you can do that by throwing them in a deep freeze, but they look terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the reason people get taxidermy done, at least the reason I did, because when I saw, the first time I saw a mounted, well, even that pheasant when I was a kid, I was intrigued with it. But when I saw that sheep mount, when I was in Alberta, I thought, Man, that is beautiful. Yeah. Because I can sit at it two, three feet away and look at it. And the fact that it looked alive made it beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, taxidermy has really advanced over the years as far as, you know, now they've got taxidermy competitions and, uh, and uh, they're appealing to... Uh, you know, taxidermists to compete in this and uh, the extent that they're going to to win these competitions is, uh, it's not practical uh, for the average person who goes out and hunts something to have them do that to their mouth yeah. because they're replacing every hair in their nose and and <laughs> I mean water droplets oh my hair. gosh, yeah. yeah it just, it it's yeah. Taxidermy comes from uh, two words, taxi and dermis. Yeah. And the taxi meaning to arrange or move, mm -hmm. and dermis is the skin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to arrange the skin. Yeah. So taxidermy. So let, let's, um, let's start with, I bring you something a deer bring into your shop. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe walk, walk people through that process of how... Uh, well, skinned out, salted, and then yeah, the procedure you want them, the, the, we as taxidermists <laughs> yeah. want to pr have these people bring them in to us. You well, mean, to no, have I'm mounted? just sort of more more walk people through um, the steps, like from you you get a you know you get an animal in to okay. the, the the basic steps of getting it to a preserved piece of art. Okay, so what you're saying is that the hunter brings in a, a, a raw specimen, yeah, a freshly yeah. killed animal. Yeah. And what do you and, do? And brings in the skin. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing, of course, that has to be done with the skin, it has to be salt cured because that's, that stops the bacterial action and, and, and is a preservative. And then you go through your chemical processes to tan the skin so that you become, instead of a, a, a salt cured skin, it becomes a piece of leather. And the leather, of course, uh, uh, ties in and holds the hair in. And if you want to, if you want to remove the hair to make leather out of your sh from, for shoes and and jackets and that sort of thing, you don't want the hair on. So before you put any kind of preservative on it, you have to what they call slip the hair, or else, or make the hair come out. Uh, and you can do it with with chemicals, or you could leave it out until it begins to decay a little <laughs> bit, and the hair falls out of it, type of thing, and then and then salt cure it and carry on. But that doesn't give you the the, the same strength of leather. So, but anyway, that's what you that's the what you have to do as you work with a piece of so then it's tanned skin. it's tanned tanned skin, um, and then um, from there. This is a big question. People always want to know what's. I think God kind of gave it away. They want to know what's inside there, because they always <laughs> think like the, the meat and the skull and everything's still on the inside. So well, in, yeah. in, the, in the old days, of course, they used to use a skeletal structure as your as your uh, armature, 
and uh, they put the skeleton together, and then they would build up on the on the skeleton uh, all all the uh, with paper mache's and and similar goods or clay or whatever, and, and sculpt out all the muscular structure as it, where when you took the skin off of the animal, you had to have the proper. Uh, muscular structure underneath when you before you put a tan skin back on your on your mannequin to make it so you make it look alive with muscles showing through the on the outside of the mm-hmm, skin etc mm-hmm. etc yeah those features so then you would um you've you've got your mannequin um and then you're obviously gluing and sewing that onto the mannequin screwing right. bolting the horns on Oh yeah. yes, you you the eyes. Yeah, <clears throat> then you mount the eyes, usually in a clay. You get glass <clears throat> eyes, of course. Yeah, glass eyes. Yeah, and there's various different companies that make glass eyes. Yeah, and you can buy the size and the color and all the rest of it that For you the want. The right animal, get the pupils <clears throat> going the yeah. right way, and get them looking the right <laughs> way, so that they're not cross-eyed looking, and uh, yeah sculpt it all in there and then put the skin over it usually you put some glue on it and work the glue in around on the skin it's a usually a slow setting paste type glue and then you move that skin there's the moving of the skin you taxi the skin put it all in the right place and you shape the face according to the mannequin that's inside or whatever you've got inside and uh, mannequins easiest to work with mm-hmm. and uh but before they cast mannequins they were doing it on the skull yeah you know they would take the whole skull and they'd do it with that obviously clean and bleach it off and then yeah like odd clean said, and bleach then the skull and then build it all build, up build with the muscles uh, back up plaster or something they, they build it up with the beginning of their <clears throat> When you're building up a uh, to make a mannequin for the to put your tanned skin on yeah. and pop your glass eyes in, uh, you, you'd have to uh, uh, make a mannequin out of paper mache or uh, as the days went or on, wire and got, excelsior got in, with wire and excelsior, yeah. and, uh, and and wrap, wrap it with, uh, with uh, binder twine or whatever you may have to hold the muscular and feature sculpture features into that into that uh, shredded uh, in the, into that excelsior. And uh, uh, and make sure you accented those muscles, and ha- so that when you put the skin on, you could make that muscle show through on the outside of the skin. Yeah. So it doesn't look like a flat th- a skin pulled over a flat type of uh, a, a surface. You want it to have a the uh, the expression in the in the mannequin, and that's where the sculpting part of taxidermy comes in. Yeah, so that I think that's important for people to to visualize that even though some of these animals like have got you know thick fur, um, like even a you know a bear that's going to have thick fur and stuff on it, it's um, it's critical that that lifelike muscle feature underneath of all of that, you guys do that anatomically correct because then that reflects on the fur on the outside and it's you yeah can't it's cover up. yeah you, there's a little bit of grace and room when you have a long-haired animal like a bear or a mountain goat yeah can, or goat or something like that you know if the muscle isn't quite right nobody would notice it but the artist who's doing the taxidermy would know <clears throat> you know an interesting thing when i first started doing taxidermy when I lived in the Okanagan after the duck incident <laughs> the duck incident 
next thing you know, I got a, a, somebody brought me a deer to mount, and I, one of the first things you ask, one of the first things you do, first off, you examine the, the animal that the person is bringing you to mount to be sure that it's all there. You know, it's got two ears and two eyes. There isn't an ear missing or the what? face hasn't been shot off or something. And if it looks like it should be able, and a lot of times it takes some pretty uh, creative ingenuity to fix some animals up, depending on how bad they are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but that's one of the first things you do. And then measure it to make sure, you know, you have the sizes that you want. Because once it's skinned out, your sizes are gone. Yeah. But what, ha what happened in, in the Okanagan with me is I ran into this book. And I think it was a book by a guy by the name of Bob White. And it was in a, it was in a library in Kelowna. And what this guy did, and it just really clicked with me, is <clears throat> if he got in an animal to mount, he skinned it, took the carcass, froze it, and made a mold of that frozen carcass. And I thought, my gosh. That is absolute, the perfect size. Because that's one of the biggest battles with taxidermy is trying to find a mannequin that will fit that particular animal because like people, we're all a little different size and whatever. So this technique of freezing the carcass, you got exactly that animal in a mold. Wow. So then you make a paper mache uh, at that time, it was paper mache mannequin, and you've got the body for that animal. And now you've got it in a body that will preserve forever, or as long as you want it. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that really intrigued me, and I did that with a few animals. And uh, but it's good for that one animal. Now somebody else brings in an animal that's just about that size, but a little bit bigger. So now you have to start cutting it up and putting in additions into it, either in the face or in the neck or whatever. <clears throat> and so what the taxidermy supply companies, the bigger ones in the past they did, is they had a whole, they would do that. They would. They would, uh, like what Odd said earlier, the most common way was to strip the, the animal down to the bare skeleton. Then they would position the skeleton and build up the, uh, you know, all the muscle structure back in clay again, and then they would make a mold of that. And uh, I was down at one of those places in uh, Denver, Colorado, at Jonas Brothers, who used to be the taxidermy supply company in North America and possibly even the world and uh, I watched a couple of the guys working on a couple different sculptures and that would really intrigue me the sculpting end of it really intrigued me and I think that's why I progressed from taxidermy to bronze sculpture, sculpture. it was yeah. a real natural transition but uh, 
Yeah, so the the body casting was a real interesting thing. And you made your own mannequins. I too. made some of my own some, mannequins. Yep. Yeah, just same thing as Odd. You just weren't happy with the commercial. Well, uh, you know what? A lot of the commercial stuff was pretty good. There's no question about it. It had to be to uh, in oh, yeah. order to stay in the industry. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> but yeah. there was lots of improvements to be made. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of the taxidermy was really good. Jonas Brothers had a couple of good sculptors in there working for them. And uh, they went on to start their own supply companies. And uh, But uh, they were good. There's a lot of good sculptors out there. And there's, uh, there's a few people that are applying that gift to taxidermy. And so it's pretty easy now... Uh, for somebody to uh, get the idea of how to do taxidermy and uh, mount a deer. Because it's now, kind of... All they have to do is buy a mannequin from the wholesaler shelf, buy, buy the glass eyes from the wholesaler yeah. shelf, and A goes to B, B goes to C. And, and away you go. Yeah, and it looks close. Right. You know? I remember Audrey used to call them... Paint, paint by numbers, taxidermy. Yeah. Number yeah, mount by numbers. Yeah, <laughs> mount by numbers. And, you know, uh, there's people who are doing it. And uh, and they do a decent job <laughs> up to their ability, because, you know, yeah. because the mannequin uh, are the mannequins today that you can buy from the manufacturers are, are so so good yeah. that all you have to do is send a skin off to a tannery. Tan it, when yeah. you get it back, glue it on, just and you're close. Put, it, put yeah. it, the two together, and, and you've got a pretty good thing, unless you put a cross eyes in it. Well, that's it, yeah. <laughs> but you also, the tax, the 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 fun part like I didn't stay in taxidermy for the 35 years because of the smells but and nor did I but the fun part of it was the creative part that's in a person coming out that you are creating so you're creating life in the eyes you're creating life in the position of it it's got a certain look to and then that if you can do that it'll look alive yeah if you don't do that if you're just mass doing taxidermy it looks like mass taxidermy you have to be creative you have to understand <clears throat> yeah. what the animal looks like and how the eyes actually orbit in the in the, uh, in the skull structure of an animal mm -hmm. and uh, and understand what makes the animal look alive and that's what you're trying to do when you're doing taxidermy work and that's the fun part eh? that's the fun yeah, part that's, that's the, the fun part of it that's the artist yeah. in you that's guys that's the artist the creative gene coming out exactly you know all the labor and the work part of it and see that's uh, the difference I think yeah. between what you guys accomplished um, you know as artists the, the road that you took to get where you were the trial and error mm -hmm. you know the failures the, the ambition to you know that you knew you could do better um and we talked about this on the way over like you know with uh with sculpting it's like it, if it's got that if it's got that thing inside you that if meaning, it's got right, life yeah it, it it comes out in your artwork yeah. and and maybe people looking at it don't don't quite know why mm -hmm. but they're just like that's beautiful yeah that's, that's okay right. that one's okay that's that guy right. did an okay yeah. job but yeah. this is just 
there's something magical yeah, about it this. looks alive and i think yeah. that's what you guys accomplish because of being artists and sculptors and naturalists and anatomical experts and this this creative upwelling inside you is that you created these things that each individual thing had some meaning to you right like and that's what it's supposed to be you're yeah. supposed to make it so that when it's in in your in your uh, own museum or whether it's in a, a wildlife museum somewhere uh, in in the world it's that critter has to look just the way it would if you saw it standing out in a field mm-hmm. and if it doesn't look that way if it looks a little wonky that's bad taxidermy work <laughs> and today the the quality of taxidermy work because of good sculptor taxidermists who create their own mannequins and then sell them to the manufacturers and uh, then it's reproduced uh, the great the quality of taxidermy is is getting better and better all the time but you have to have people that are as we are here in the east kootenai familiar with the animals because you see them all the time and you, you've skinned out lots of them because they, they, you've hunted yourself or you bring people will bring their skins into you uh, to have parts of them skinned out and you make a notes of all, all the things that are right and wrong with the manufacturers, manufacturers mannequins so you make the corrections on those mannequins or you sculpt your own mannequins which is what I did I sculpted my own mannequins and I made molds of them and uh, and, uh, and I carried on with with my own and dis- disregarded uh, I would say a, a good 30% of the uh, mannequins that I used to buy because the ones I they weren't up to the quality that I wanted I manufactured my own yeah yeah, that's just, that's true. Now, true I, I did see, if I can interrupt oh, just yeah. for a minute, I did see one mount that Odd did on a little black bear sitting at a table with a can of beer. <laughs> and I have to say that there was no mannequin in the world comes close to that. It was all wire and excelsior. The whole body. I don't know who got that to do, but I, I do remember. Odd. I, I was r- really impressed. I mean, no bear is doing that, but I thought, man, that was a creative work. <laughs> well, at for, one point, both of you guys used to have your your shops were kind of on highway frontage, and I mean, was, I, yeah. I know from Odd Shop, you'd get yeah. these phone calls or these stories would go around where people thought. Because you'd, you'd take your finished work and set it out there. I'd put them by the grass lot out in front on the, on the, right yeah. on the, on the roadside. people yeah. would think they're Outside real. The going, shop. How did they get a permit to have a mountain goat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to explore with you guys, because uh, your career spanned um, like some major decades uh, in Canada, like where, where things really changed, um, you know, um, in society and social structures and economics, uh, you know, and all those sorts of things is what, what did you see over your careers? Like how did taxidermy change? Um, how did what your customers wanted over the years change? Like if somebody brought you, you know, something in the the sixties or, you know, like what were, what were they looking for? What did you see compared to like 20, 30 years later? Well, I think the most obvious thing was, like I said, about when I saw that sheep mount and it looked real. Up until then, 
I mean, gosh, you could see the most horrible taxidermy in the world. Eyes falling out of the heads and uh, mouths cracked wide open and not even a resemblance to what that animal really was. And I think once people started to recognize that a mount can be really beautiful, and which it is, I mean, a mounted animal that is well done is beautiful. It's a work of art. I mean, the animal is beautiful. All we're doing is recreating what God already made, and I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the processes, of course, they changed over sure from, they the big, yeah. from the time that we started. Uh, the uh, a lot of the mannequins you would make yourself. You'd yeah. use the skull, their actual skull structure, a white-tailed deer head with the antlers on it. You'd use the, the skull structure and you'd put it on an armature, a two by four that runs down from the back, and to to make your neck and everything else. Then you build it up with shredded wood or excelsior, they call it. That's packing the stuff they use to pack dishes in when they're shipping dishes around, that's excelsior, that's shredded wood, and you'd wrap that around and tie it up with uh, with uh, binder, with, with twine, so it's good and firm, and uh, you'd use the same sole, the whole skull structure, uh, and uh, uh, that would be a, a, a attached to a, a neck, neck board and, uh, and, and fastened on onto a backboard and you build that all up with this, this excelsior to represent and reproduce the muscular structure that was naturally meat mm. and uh, and then on the with the skull structure itself you'd have to build the the skulls on the on the facial areas where the jaws are and everything else you'd have to put your clay in there or, or paper mache uh, and build that all up with, uh, with that material to represent and replace the muscular structure that has been taken off of the skull structure. Now that's the way it all, that's the way the old timers used to do it. And to the uh, greater or lesser degree of expertise and talent that the taxidermist of the day had, it would be a better mount or it would be a crappy mount. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's why a lot of the old mounts you see they're cracking falling apart because they the the, uh, the techniques have de developed over the years from from a, almost a dried skin salted skin over a, over a, a, a paper mache, a paper -mache or a, or a, a, a shredded wood mannequin you know to what we have today in a, a, a fiberglass mold now is, uh, yeah. is what they make them out of and uh, gosh almighty uh, I've made enough of those in my day uh, made the mold because I sculpted I got sick and tired of the stuff I was buying because I had to spend so much time making the corrections in them that I, I sought it out to heck with I'm going to sculpt my own self and that's when I started sculpting my own materials yeah, yeah. and then I'd make a mold of them and then I could reproduce <coughs> them in paper mache to start with uh, because of the, my mo first molds were made out of out of uh, uh, after I sculpted out what I wanted, I'd make a mold of that, and that I would make it uh, out of out of uh, plaster of Paris. Now, plaster of Paris is brittle, of course. If you drop it, it's going to break, and uh, and it's also heavy, cumbersome to handle. And as fiberglass got in, I, I used to uh, re-sculpt everything. I put all the detail and definition in the mannequin that I made, all the muscular structure on the neck and then around the eyes and and the, and the facial features and so forth. And uh, then I would I would make them out of made them out of fiberglass molds, and then I pour my own foam molds, and that's, that's yeah. I used to have all my own my own molds. So as you as you guys got 
better um, at making, you know, the, the representations, recreating more lifelike. Did that inspire your customers in wanting more, oh, yeah. bringing you more? Um, their oh, yes, wives indeed. were happy with yes, it. They didn't yes. tell them, get that out of the house. And, you know, so so that's, uh, what, that's what I'm really curious in is like... Um, I think what, I think that... I don't think that is the original start of what we call, quote, the trophy hunter. Right. But I think the fact that they were so beautiful that more and more and more hunters wanted something in their hunting experience because uh, I don't know of a hunter that thinks... uh, that uh, a nice big whitetail buck is not beautiful or a big ram is not magnificent looking. Uh, and they love it. And so they want one. Yeah. And uh, I know that's why I got that first antelope mounted because I wanted to preserve that animal and the beauty of it. And... and your customers and clients were and after customers that and clients are exactly the same yeah. they want to preserve it and some of them are collectors they want to get bigger ones they got mm-hmm. a deer mount but they've seen bigger deer mount they decide they want to get and some people get really carried away and they just want every species of deer there is they want a species of that deer to appreciate yeah. In and their then, life, and then you would have young kids come in with their very first deer that was a two point or something, and oh, want, oh, <laughs> in their glory, yeah, they were in their glory, yeah. yeah. So you know, if we, if you wanted to reflect back on your careers, like what percentage of do you think of your customers were were people that were like, let's say, the collectors, the trophy hunters, where maybe that was their motive for hunting versus just a person that was out hunting for meat and they got a deer and it's beautiful and it was a wonderful experience and they just wanted you to turn it into art oh boy that's I, I a would, hard one I, I'd be inclined to think that uh, um, a lot of people that are meat hunters as we, uh, you know which okay. is yep. what you want to hunt for is to get the meat but uh, then they when they get a, a nice looking deer whether it's a, a, a nice little uh, spike white tail or, or a, a big six or eight point white tail you know it doesn't whatever they th- thought they would like to have as a as a remembrance a remembrance 50, yeah. 100 years 80 years from now <laughs> and it'll still be in good condition and look just the way it was when he got it back from the taxidermist and the skill of the taxidermist depends on how well it was featured and, yeah. and preserved Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it, a, it was it was a, a, a memory for them. So that, that's so, so, that's right. So the people, your typical customers, weren't all just coming to you because it was a, it was a record book animal, but it, they came to you because it meant something to them. Exactly. Most, yeah. Most of the hunters that, for on my part anyway, that brought me work, they were hunting uh, for a good specimen. Like they were looking for. Uh, and I'm, and the regulations allowed them to get that a nice ram yep. because all the rams were full curl rams uh, and uh, the people that wanted a deer mount it was usually a nice adult deer that they decide they want to get it mounted 
So, but they were hunting deer first and hopefully get a big one. Yeah. Like I always used to say, you know, if you, if you saw two bucks standing there and one was a big one and one was a small one, what one would you shoot? And they all say the big one because they want that nice looking uh, mature specimen. And you know, a trophy hunter is really not hard on wildlife. Mm. Because they're usually after the biggest and the oldest. And, and they, they're very selective and pass and up And they're lots. selective. Yeah. They pass most of the small ones up. Yeah. And that's the breeding stock. Yeah. The smaller ones are the breeding stock. Those old bucks are, are you know, they're usually pet getting past their prime. And whether they have good offspring or not is uh, uh, how can they compete with a, a, a younger, healthier buck there's going to be sure well, that he's going, now, he's going to produce odd, sperm now, for a <laughs> We may have an argument going on we got, here. We got some old guys we and some young got, guys. Okay, we've got an argument going on. The does are attracted to the antlers. The doe is attracted to the antler. The antler there on a deer isn't there for protection. They shed of, them come winter. Strength it's it's, and a, it's, a, it's and an attraction. So they lie. Size doesn't matter. The, the uh, <laughs> size does matter in that size. Of the animal that, 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 we're talking antlers here, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, okay. you yeah. know, and yeah. so yeah. Now one of the things I saw, like in. See, see if I, I pictured this right in your guys' careers. Um, um, early on, 60s and 70s, a hunter would be just happy with like a head on, on the wall, like a shoulder mount. Oh, yeah. So to describe that would be is um, these guys would recreate um, the specimen that would basically be um, from the shoulders. Like yeah, not, that's not right. Not quite back the legs, but just catch the top of the shoulders, the brisket and the chest, and that's yeah. your classic head mount. Um, they would be happy with that. Mm-hmm. It, in the latter part of your careers, you guys were doing life-size animals in settings with habitat, sometimes paintings behind them, recreating the ground mm-hmm. that the animals mm-hmm. were on, trying to accurately depict um, the structure of rock that mm-hmm. a mountain goat would be on from this part of the Rocky mm-hmm. Mountains. Mm-hmm. And is, that, is that fair? Did you Was that a change over your careers to people wanting... Yeah, it wanting- did change, yeah, for sure. And what it, like I say, what it was was somebody saw something that looked beautiful and other taxidermists saw that. That taxidermist did something. Gee, I like the way he did that. I'm going to incorporate that in this and add this and add that little bit to it. I mean, uh, a, a good taxidermist gleans the best of all the artists to help to help uh express what he wants to express and uh gee whiz yeah the taxidermy and then the uh, the competitions have really pushed the scale up as well also people see that they, and then they come to you and say they want better more and more and well and the taxidermists ourselves we want to do a little bit different and a little more all the time Creative. I remember I, <laughs> I would have a cougar mount in my studio or something like that and I'd already done two or three like that and I thought 
gee where's that I'd like to do it a little different somebody come into the studio and look around and say I want mine just like that I think gosh there'll be another one like that I want to do something <laughs> that, that model's discontinued <laughs> <laughs> yeah well but uh, but now gosh yeah I mean the sky's the limit yeah now, is this true? I mean, uh, let's just say from a business perspective, because I said you guys were businessmen, this you, this is how you, um, you know, provided for your families and, you know, big families. And um, you had always said, Odd, that there was more money in the, in creating the, the lifelike bases and rocks and vegetation and in the actual animal. And, and you, I remember you'd always said you might be, be better what, off just to create the, the the base work that you would sell to another taxidermist. <laughs> well, the thing with the base work, of course, you could, uh, uh, a rock is a rock is a rock, you know. I mean, if you make a mistake on it, who's going to know that it's, uh, not, it's not quite what yeah, you want? Yeah, that wanted? rock's not quite right. That's yeah. right. You, know, <laughs> you can't say a rock is not quite right. So, uh, but the, 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 uh, the, in the habitat, if you're going and say a, a life-size mountain goat you're mounting as an example and uh, you've, you've got to, you have to make sure you have the the right kind of rocks that the goats are are on and we all know what what kind of the terrain that's on and and if you, you and you, then you also have your little habitats that are on there the different types of lichens and so forth that uh, are in that uh, in that that mountain goat environment and then you put your mountain goat on there, and of course, then everything everything looks fine, provided you do a good job on the mountain goat. <laughs> and, that, and that was probably a lot of work that you guys did. It was probably underappreciated because I know you're naturalists, and you know, Odd Odd was a, a geologist as well. He'd go out hunting or whatever. He would always bring back lots of rocks in the back of the truck because everything interested <laughs> him. But it was like the 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 thought that went into doing the bases, you know, was even like this is how rock looks from this part of the Rockies but that moss no that's the moss that will grow on a decaying log that's not the type of moss or lichen that grows on a rock so you were very particular about that and even the vegetation and stuff and and, and I think that's part of the mastery of, of bringing your naturalist backgrounds into the work that you did that, that maybe people didn't actually you know appreciate maybe you know they'll go back and look at that and realize there was as much went into that base work is the you know, that's, I, that's quite Mark, true. I, th I think people did appreciate that. Did okay. Oh, yeah. 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 When people saw that mount yeah. combined with the natural habitat of it, whatever it is, uh, they appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, and they, yeah. They said that looks exactly oh, like where yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they, that's wonderful. They recognize the fact that, uh, uh, that that habitat fits and is that's right. part of of the that's natural the environment yep. that that critter came yep. from, right. yeah. and that's and that's what you have to duplicate. Just just as much you have to to reproduce the goat. Your, the goat you have to reproduce the vegetation and the rocks around the uh, around for a life size goat. And if you're on a if you have an elk standing in a uh, on cactus a, a brush, brush your, <laughs> patch of brush, <laughs> you, you could get elaborate enough to you can you can put a bunch of brush around it if you wanted to. But most people, if you're working with an elk, it's a big animal. You just can't have all that habitat around unless you've got a small museum, you know. Yeah, yeah so. and a big big wallet. <laughs> a big wallet. Yeah, and so then that, it depends. I mean, you could put the animal in any situation. Yeah. 
you know, like you were mentioning about an elk. Well, you could have that elk standing in the field beside a Massey Ferguson tractor, too. <laughs> but that's not, you know, it doesn't do the elk any good. Yeah, that's right. So you have to adjust your habitat to make that animal look the best it can. Yeah, and, and um, to be true, true to the... Yeah. where it came from and uh, you know I mean a couple of the mounts I know Odd's done this mount as well you know you do a, a bear or something laying over a log or something laying over a root system and uh, I don't know if I, I mean you could possibly live an extra hundred years and not see an animal do that yeah but it sure looked nice artistically yeah yeah you know there's a a bit of creativity that you want to add in there mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the fun part of it yeah exactly oh sure yeah it's a now, hoot now what about birds um we haven't really talked uh, you know about birds but i mean you guys did you know raptors and um songbirds and upland game birds and stuff and and you know those are you know other than an upland game bird or a duck or something like I mean, those are those are not things that hunters are bringing you right like they're they're bringing you the whole thing yeah like like an owl or whatever that mm-hmm. maybe was accidentally hit on the highway or electrocuted yeah. or something and they yeah, could the, get a the, permit and they, yeah. they, people the, the, were bringing the law, you that the, stuff. the law of the land says you, you're not allowed to kill a, 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 you, you're allowed to kill game birds like <coughs> ducks and pheasants and grouse and that mm-hmm. sort of thing they're they're legitimate game animals <clears throat> and 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 uh, when, if you happen to have a uh, come in with a great gray owl or a great horned owl or a, or something of that sort, you know, it uh, if you had shot it and the game department found out that me, the taxidermist, has it in my shop for mounting, you know, I'm in trouble because they they could shut me down, so to speak, yep, yep. and uh, find me for having that in my possession mm-hmm. for mounting. Never mind the guy who who got it by shooting it with a shotgun or or whatever. But if you pick it up on the highway, you find a dead one on the highway or somewhere along that way, and uh, it's a legitimate accidental kill, uh, you can take those things, take it to the game department, tell them where you got it, or uh, and uh, you will, and they'll inspect it to make sure that it had been uh, not not been shot with pellets in it or a bullet hole in it. <clears throat> that it is an accident uh, and obviously broken bones and so forth in a collision. Actually, uh, then, then uh, you get excuse a, then you me, Odd. Actually, I think the proper way to do it is to get a hold of the fish and wildlife before you pick it up to bring to them because you could be in possession of that bird with no permit that's an interesting but by the same token uh, with my experience over the years the fish and wildlife branch uh, they, they appreciate the fact that uh, when they inspect it and see that, that uh, there's no bullet holes in right. it and that yeah. sort of thing and it's, it's got a crushed skull or broken wings or you know that kind of thing they know darn well that it hasn't been shot right. deliberately yeah. that's I think right. you'd have to be it wasn't a deliberate kill right yeah so they, there's a, a, a great avenue of of uh, uh, of leeway mm-hmm. there where a person can pick one up mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then take it into the fish and what they have to take it to the fish and wildlife branch. Mm-hmm. They will inspect it and yep. give you a permit before I, as a taxidermist, can accept it into my shop. That's correct. Yeah. If I didn't come in with a permit, go to the game department, get a permit, you deal with it, and then you can come back to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's rigidly controlled. Yeah, it is. I remember 
one instance of a customer that had called me from Creston an hour or so away, and he was coming into Cranbrook driving a big truck, and uh, a white-tailed buck had jumped out in front of him just coming into town uh, up by Eager Hills there. And, and anyway, he said, Reg, he said, that I hit that deer so hard. I killed one. I know it's dead. And he said, it's a big buck. He said, would you want to go out on the highway and just see if you can find it and uh, and get a hold of Fish and Wildlife and, and get a permit for it? Because if it's as big as I think it is, I would mount it. And he's very familiar with animals. And so that's what I did. I went out and found it. And... Uh, I was just gonna, I thought to myself, you know what, I don't know if somebody sees me dragging this out of the ditch, <laughs> out of this, you know, it was a place where there's cattails. If somebody sees me dragging that out of there, uh, I could be in trouble. Right. And I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna leave it in the ditch here and cover it up so nobody can see it. And it was a nice big deer. And I went to the Fish and Wildlife and and while I was at the Fish and Wildlife, somebody had driven by, and they must have noticed me move it or something. They reported it. And the boys at the Fish and Wildlife, and I, I, I like the guys. I mean, I, there's very few of them I, I didn't get along with or enjoy. Yeah. And uh, the one guy said to me, he says, it's a good thing that you came first before you loaded that because somebody already reported you. I says, go on. He says, absolutely, oh, Reg. He says, but you can go pick it up. Oh, good for you. So good for you. We went ahead, picked it up, and mounted it. So, so I think you know one of the things that was you know wanted to explore there was that that there were people that weren't hunters that would pick up an owl or something mm -hmm. that accidentally died that wanted exactly the same thing they wanted you to read they get a permit everything's good they wanted you to recreate that because of the beauty of mm -hmm. that and you know maybe <clears throat> as a way of honoring it because it didn't die a natural death mm -hmm. um, then it would always be something that they could look at um they're not they're they wouldn't be looking at it the same way as a hunter remembering mm -hmm. you know the the hunt and stuff but just just maybe the sheer beauty them, of it. The sheer yeah. beauty. Maybe it makes them yeah. feel connected um, and, and appreciate, like we said at the beginning, appreciate nature. So there is a lot of that, you know. Where there's so, so mm -hmm. many things that are killed on the uh, on, on the highway, and uh, people will, people will pick them up and go into the game department and get a permit, you know, mm -hmm. an owl, a hawk, or who cares what it might be, and uh, get a permit for that. And uh, we as taxidermists, we can't accept them unless there's a permit attached to it or comes with it. Yeah. So yeah. If, if they come to me and say, I found this on the highway uh, and uh, I want to have it mounted, I say, well, I tell them right off the bat, you have to take that down to the Fish and Wildlife Branch. I can't accept it into my shop until you get a permit accompanying mm -hmm. that bird. And then come right, come and right then, back. And then bring it back yeah. well, along with yeah. the permit. Then, I can, then I'll say, yes, I can do it for you. So what are yeah. um, it's what rigid, are rigidly controlled? Yeah, definitely, it, it definitely. Is. Yeah. It's, it's very well controlled. Yeah. yeah, and and I think people know, you know, know know the laws. They pick something up, they get a permit. They know they know where to take it. What what are some um, what are some weird 
requests or things yeah. that you had over here? <laughs> over well, your time? Obviously, one of them was a black bear sitting at the table drinking a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was the, funny. The customer's yeah. always right. <laughs> but, you know, you're talking about bird taxidermy. That was my favorite. Okay. I, I really enjoyed it. I've the heard. reason why is because it's so flexible that you can, like with a mannequin, uh, for a deer or something like that, or a wolverine or a bobcat. I mean, once you start to mount the skin on it, you already know the position that it's going to be in, and uh, and and you know you get so that you can adjust it ahead of time to be sure it's what you're going to want. But with a bird mount, you can adjust it as you go because you can change the position from just slightly squatting or slightly open-winged or a different expression as a position. And, so and it kinda, was fun. You can start and then just kind of let it take yeah, you where it wants to exactly. go. Exactly. And it went along quite fast. Oh, wow. Usually, you know, within a couple of days, usually you can do it yep. without, you know, unless you're running into a lot of problems. And so... It's nice that way. Some of the bigger mounts, well, odd, you know, some of the life-size sheep and, uh, I mean, you'll work. Buffalo. Yeah. Oh, buffalo. You'll work weeks on it. More or less. It's a yeah. grunt. Yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not always, uh, what do I say? You, you enjoy it because, I mean, you, you know, you've got to put up with a little to get a lot, right? Okay. And, uh, but uh, until you get into the life, reproducing the life on it, uh, it's a lot of work. You liked yeah, birds too, didn't you? You said you enjoyed birds. Well, birds mm-hmm. are nice to do, yeah. Birds are fun to do, yeah. Well, you yeah, said turkeys you didn't are like little, turkeys. Yeah, turkeys are a little harder. <laughs> I mean, you mounted one turkey, you've just, mounted, just about mounted everyone. That's, if, if, if anybody in... <laughs> Eastern States is listening to this. That'd be blasphemy, right? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Turkey, the, turkey, the interesting part of a turkey, of course, is the, is the fact that they, they have no feathers on the, on the head and the face. Yeah. You know, so, the, so everything there has to be uh, done right to absolute perfection in order to, so, you, so you capture the features of a gobbler. The, mm-hmm. the wrinkles and the little whiskers. Absol- yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Whereas Just, uh, if you're mounting a, a bald eagle or something, that, that sort of thing. bald eagle of course isn't bald it has a white head yeah. it's got feathers to cover over That's everything right, else yeah. so, so your contours are, are, are any any rough spots shall we say uh, they can you can cover them up cover them up yeah. and, uh, and they're out of sight so on, on on the weird request things did you have weird you, requests pets. you must have got pets right oh I've had people ask about doing pets I've I've never done pets okay I, I don't like the idea of them uh i can't i can't reproduce the character of that pet yeah and uh so people that want their little fido mounted i can't reproduce (laughs) that fido was friendly i can't reproduce that fido was uh mean or anything yeah it's just it, uh, a physical reproduction. Fido used to sleep and look so gentle and quiet on the corner of the couch. Can you do him standing with his teeth? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like most bears that people get. <laughs> or the, yeah. the biggest fear would be, yeah, you mounted Fido, but it doesn't look like him. Well, 
can't go get another one. That's it. You got what, what, what you about, got. What about you? Like farm animals, pigs? No, domestic stock and the like of that. Uh, um, I've never had any any requests to do those things excepting for, if you want to call them, domesticated pheasants. Pheasants, you know, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. You know, birds, but uh, <clears throat> that's different. With but mam- mammals, that, plumage. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do pets. I wouldn't begin to even accept a pet mm-hmm. because, as, as was just said, uh, uh, you don't know the intimate expressions, but the owner of that pet knows that that mount doesn't look like my Fido. It doesn't have yeah. the right, right yeah. expression on the eyes. Yeah, yeah it looks like a his, cat body His eyes were dog. actually crooked in real life. <laughs> yeah. <they> know. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you did a starfish one time, didn't you? A starfish? Yeah. I, no. thought, I thought I remember you said you did a starfish one time. A starfish? I, I don't recall. Oh. That would be just lay out and let it dry, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't, like I don't, a, I don't think like I'd pretty hard to screw that one up. Yeah. Yeah. It, must, it must have been a different type of fish because I, I don't think I've ever handled a dar- I've uh-huh. never handled a starfish. Now, how, how do you how do you do it? It's a bunch of jelly. Yeah. yeah. Now, is this, do I remember this right? Did you have somebody that wanted an amputated limb done? No. No? Okay. No, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't my wife wanting to amputate my limb or nothing. <laughs> okay. She phoned you? No? no. Oh, okay, no. good. No, no, okay, I just want to be sure I'm safe to go home. <clears throat> what, yeah. um, what, are, what, are some, what are some of your thoughts on um, these pieces of artwork that you recreated, God's Creatures, and, and how did you feel about the way they needed to be treated once they were, when you were done with it? Like, you, you would you believe that they needed to be treated with respect? Oh, sure. Afterwards. Well, just absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I mean, you know, hats and, and, and cigarettes and Christmas tree ornaments well, and that kind of stuff. Y- you know, I, I mean, people aren't aren't really that awfully dumb. Yeah, I mean, they know that if they treat them rough, that they don't mend themselves. They just don't. So, like the worst is uh, uh, goats in a smoke environment, Wouldn't and they so. would end up dirty. And yeah, yeah. But I think you were you were referring to uh, as an example. I have had people come in with a uh, uh, about a two year old, three year old bear, and they say, "I want this mounted, but I want it holding my ashtray," and they will have mm. it in their house in their home or the place where they display it. And there's an, holding an ashtray because the guy was a smoker, pipe, or who cares what. And, uh, and the, the, there he would have the bear mounted holding an ashtray, and that's what he wanted. He wanted a bear in his, with a, an ashtray holding it. Mm. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about it? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mounted it. Whatever you put in the paws is up to you. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Uh, um... So you guys, you guys went into some competitions over your careers, kind of did a little bit. Not of that. really. I Just, didn't. No? I didn't compete in in the big competitions. Okay. okay. No. No. I never no. bothered with that either. Yeah. Uh, small local competitions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, know, but um, uh, your your rewards or your 
your happy customers. That's yeah, that's exactly. It. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> that was really the fun part of taxidermy was the customers. Okay. Because they're, they're just like people like us, you know, we're hunters, we're friends, we live in the same communities and yeah. we have so much in common. And stories. Yeah. And stories, the stories are just wonderful. Yeah. You know, yeah, I love I, that. I, yeah. I remember days when I was young, you'd you'd spend all day, you know, in in talking with you yeah. guys. I don't know what you thought about it. Well, it was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta well, get to that's, work I, I remember like you know working at the taxidermy shop, and not a single person would come in all day except for coffee time and lunch. Yeah. They knew when we weren't working, so they came in there and yeah. and, and would chat with a story. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. appreciated the fact that they didn't want to interrupt our work day. Okay. And not only that, but they were working at the same time, too, somewhere else. So yeah. <laughs> they, were on, time was they were on their coffee break. Yeah. I had to stop in and see what odds up to. Yeah, I always enjoyed seeing customers. Well, oh, that's Indeed. good. I mean, when they came with game or when they came without game. Yeah, or, or to make a, uh, a deposit or a well, payment. Well, sure, you always, you always enjoy the deposit. One thing about taxidermy, I learned to live on faith. You know? Yeah. Uh, hunts, faith, faith that, pay it faith they that it they're, a, you know, I didn't have too much problem with people leaving their work and not paying it. Okay, good. That didn't happen very often. No. But, uh, yeah, just faith that there would be work come in and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and money would keep coming in. And it did. You, it was, you had some because yeah. you'd find out when you were done that your, your client actually passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. you had to do it a lot faster than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they brought it in when they were 14, and, and, and he died at 72. Yeah. <laughs> Quality and mastery <laughs> takes time, my son. Yeah, master. That's it. Master work. Do you, um, what, what advice do you have for other taxidermists that are out there? Oh gosh! Just enjoy what you're doing and, uh, and and do the best that you can. Taxidermy is a complex art. It's a mixture art. of many different arts. Sculpting being the major part of it. And uh, if you if you are a little lacking on uh, your artistic talents, you know that will show up in the amount of what what you're working on. Whether you're mounting a mountain goat, or whether you're making a reproduction of a, of a mountain goat out of clay, you know it's going to show up. In your in the work that you're going right. to do, so okay. you have to you have to understand and know and you're, what you're doing. You're copying nature at its at, at its finest, and if you and that's what you're trying to duplicate is do it so it's absolutely natural. Perfect. That's what you're, because Perfect. that's what the client wants. He wants it to Sage. look as though it's alive. Sage advice. Reg, what advice would you pass? Oh on? my! <laughs> don't quit school, but uh, <laughs> don't go in. Don't go when I lived in when I lived in Kelowna, where I started doing taxidermy, <clears throat> I had uh, started uh, taking a welding course at the college at the same time, mm-hmm. and uh, next thing you know, somebody bring a pheasant over and. Can you mount that? Uh, sure. And uh, I'd be working on that thing till 2, 3 in the morning sometimes. And and school, after a few months, I was, kept getting late for school. And uh, 
And my instructor, I loved the guy. He was a great little guy. I, I nicknamed him Sparky, and that stuck forever. Anyway, welding instructor, I thought that's a good name. And he came up to me one morning. I was about a half an hour late. And he says, Reg, what's wrong? He says, you're late again. I says, Sparky, I'm sorry. I said, I got... I didn't even hear the alarm this morning. He says, what are you doing? And I said, well, um, I'm actually doing taxidermy and I was working till about two in the morning on this bird. And, and he said to me, and I believe this came from somebody else. That's my faith. Okay. And he said to me, he said, can I give you a word of advice? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, this is what you should do. Figure out what you want to do with your life. He said, either welding or taxidermy, if that's what you want to do. He said, he said, figure out what you want to do. You'll do well at it, but do it with all your might. Wonderful. And I thought, holy smokes. Well, I, I like taxidermy. And he said, well, right, you're in the wrong place. And he said, I'll see you around somewhere. And that was the end of my welding right there. <sighs> and I started doing taxidermy. And so if I had anything to say, I said, anybody who wants to try it, try it. Enjoy it. That's Not, right. Uh, and, that, and, you know, whatever you find your hands to do, do it with all your might and enjoy it. It's not going to hurt him. And that, uh, yeah. that, that goes beyond taxidermy. It's it goes, it goes yeah. for life. Yeah, for right. sure it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, at, this, at the start, I kind of, you know, went through a little bit and, you know, described you guys as, as masters of taxidermy and, you know, the reasons masters, why. Masters, that sounds really it, good, eh? It does. It sounds it's excellent. Oh, it sounds like a golfing kind of, you get a green, <laughs> the green jacket. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you mastered taxidermy? Odd. Yes, I do. And uh, because uh, it depends on what you classify as mastering. Okay. If you do something and you're happy with it, then and you get other people that feel that you're, you've done well with it, then you have mastered it. Okay. And uh, uh, So there's some inner peace there? There's inner peace there, but uh, by the same tone, it's uh, um, mastering it is in the eyes of the beholder. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and have, have, uh, have we mastered taxidermy? Uh, we have mastered it to the point of making uh, making it as uh, professional and as natural and as fine a piece of artwork that you can do that you could possibly do. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that's and that's what makes you stay in business. If the public doesn't think you're doing good enough, you don't last in the tax mm. business. True. Reg, do you think you mastered? Well, I think I mastered as much as I wanted to master. Okay. And when I left taxidermy, it was time. You felt at peace. Yeah, I felt I'd done, I'd skinned enough bears. <laughs> I'd mounted enough bear rugs. Um, 
you know, a bear rug is a lot of work and a lot of expense. And for a little bit of mounting of the head and the eyes, the yes. rest of it is labor and stretching and, and stretching and skinning and shipping and all the rest of it. And I done enough. I'd done enough. I had I had no craving to mount a bear again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one year in the early 80s, I mean, Odd used to get in the majority of the sheep. I don't know how many sheep Odd would get in. He always got in a ton of sheep. But I remember one time in the early 80s, I believe, one year I got 100 bears in. Wow. And 20-some of those were grizzlies. Hmm. I mean, I was mountain bears steady <laughs> every day. <laughs> While I was mountain bear, I had another head uh, rolled up and and softening up for the next day to get started. And, and my beautiful wife helped me with a lot of the sewing. And I had a friend help me with stretching and sewing. Well, Odd had all kinds of people help him work for him and in fact I remember shortly after I moved to Cranbrook I moved to Cranbrook in 1978 and I think it was about 1979 or so Odd had a, a, a Steve Davis work for him Yep. Steve is a great guy. Yep. I like Steve. And, he uh, was a prince, yeah. Oh, he was yep. a great guy and a good taxidermist. Yep. You know, he worked for Odd. He did a really good job mounting fish. Beautiful I never fish. mounted fish, and Steve was good at it. And Anyway, Steve and, and we were all friends. I mean, that's one thing about the taxidermist. Mm-hmm. You were all, I don't know how many times uh, if I needed something, if I ran out of a set of eyes or the eyes I had were too small, who would I call? Well, I knew that I would call Odd. Odd had the best eye supply other than the supplier in Calgary or in, <laughs> in Denver himself. And Odd was always gracious, and he, he would Help yeah, you out. just replace it. He'd say, don't worry about And, uh, I mean, we had a good, always had a good rapport, yeah, we I feel. Yeah. And uh, why are you pointing that gun at me, Odd? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, oh, one day funny. Steve come up and he said, uh, yeah, we're all getting together and we're going. At that time, there used to be a lodge here in town out on the highway and there was a, a dance going on that night and they were all going to... Scandinavian Lodge. <clears throat> Scandinavian mm-hmm. Lodge. Yeah. And he had a young lady working for him. <clears throat> Her name was Linda, and uh, anyway, I thought, oh, I'll go to this party. Sure, what the heck. I was by myself, and went there, and Odd was at the table with, I think Joyce was there, yep. and Steve and Debbie were there, and, yep. and uh, here's this other young lady, quite a cute lady and uh, with a guy and and I think Linda was there at that time too well it was Linda's girlfriend that was there with her Sherry mm-hmm. and we were sitting at the table and uh, it's getting away from taxidermy but uh, hey this is life and uh, this guy wasn't asking this beautiful lady to dance and I thought I wonder if she wants to dance well 
you know, that's a dumb question. Every girl wants to dance. <laughs> And I asked her to dance, and the rest is history. Oh, good for I you. mean, we've been married forty years, and six kids, and they're growing up, and beautiful. And they're on oh their, yeah, taxidermy has its rewards. And they're on their way from Idaho right now to come visit. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple on their oh, way to right. Idaho right, right now to have a visit with the grandkids, and uh, uh, yeah, taxidermy was mm. wonderful that way. <laughs> yes. Well, folks, um, there you have it. Taxidermy. The masters of taxidermy. Masters. They, I feel, we feel they're the masters, and they feel they're the masters. Um, the advice, which goes beyond taxidermy, is you know you've mastered something when you feel you've done the best that you can do. You feel peace inside, and those around you are proud and enjoy what you've created um, as a definition of mastery. One of the things that uh, <clears throat> I think is gives you a good feeling of having mastered whatever you do, music, art, or whatever it is, and taxidermy is a complex art. And uh, when the customer comes in and says, damn it, I'm glad it's finally finished. I've been waiting to get this thing home. I can hardly wait. So in other words, he was waiting, barking at the door. Come on, come on, finish it. I want yeah, it back. It I want it. Master, just get yes, it done. Right. Yeah. Well, can, can I pick it up and pay you later? Uh, no, <laughs> no, thank no. you. No. Well, on that uh, note, everybody, um, thanks for listening to the Masters of Taxidermy. And, masters. Uh, we will That's see a you funny on, one to absorb. Yeah, we'll get you a T-shirt. <laughs> you will. <laughs> masters of Taxidermy T-shirt. All right, you know, everybody. One well, last interesting thing. Okay, odd, go ahead. Odd mentioned there was a taxidermist over in the Okanagan in the Soyuz. Braun. Abe Braun. Well, when I lived in Kelowna, I met Abe Braun. He mounted a little mountain goat for me. And uh, and Odd, did you do some work for him, Odd? I used to work with him. You used to work with Abe. That's, well, what, that's, what I, that's where I got my real inspiration to become a taxidermist. Okay. okay. <clears throat> and when I lived over in Kelowna and started doing birds in the college and the whole thing, well, uh, Abe stopped in at my little wee shop. I mean, my shop was a little one-stall garage, old, broken-down garage that I patched up enough to sit in. And uh, Abe stopped in and said, how would you like to do birds for me? I said, phew, I'd love to. He says, uh, well, he says, uh, uh, stop by and I'll give you a bird or two. And he says, your birds look pretty good. I said, well, thanks, Abe. And that was a, to me, I, he was a master. Okay. That was a crowning compliment. That was a uh, crowning compliment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, and I don't know how many taxidermists he nurtured and launched on their own that's right and yeah. odd as well yeah. people have worked for him and gone on to do their own business and doing well at it yeah. and i've had a couple work for me and gone on and done well mentors as well and so yeah. i guess if that's a master then i guess doug nabbit odd we're masters. I guess we must be. Oh. There you go. How about that? <laughs> I'm going to have to call. I'm going to have to masters. We're, we're, <laughs> we're masters of a complex art. There oh, you go. complex is right. Well, folks, uh, next time you see some taxidermy, I hope you remember this conversation and look upon it with a different eye. 
Thanks, guys, for joining us. Um, this was a great conversation and uh, a great walk memory back, it back was in memory lane. Mark, thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And we will uh, see everybody on the next episode.